Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Caroline Drummond-Smith, business owner and coach of Zest Health Coaching and also a mother of three. Caroline helps people to have a healthy relationship with food in their body, to enjoy life, work on habits and change, take responsibility and become their fullest selves. Now, Caroline spent many years suffering from an eating disorder, maintaining an unhealthy weight and strictly controlling her food. And sadly, in this time, she caused much damage to her body and missed out on so much of life. She was also terrified about who she would be without the eating disorder, as it had become so much of an integral part of her identity. Today, Caroline has recovered and works as a coach, using her experience in such a positive way to support others having a deep understanding of people's struggles and the battles they are facing. Caroline has done some vital recovery work on making herself a priority rather than an optional extra. She now values her body in a completely different way and acknowledges all the wonderful things it can do. And she has learned to nourish her body and treat it with a love and kindness after years of abuse. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Caroline today and hearing her story. I know it's going to offer so many of you much inspiration and hope that recovery is possible. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Caroline, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Harriet. Thank you for having me. So, Caroline, please could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, I'm Caroline Drummond-Smith. I am a health coach. I work for Zest Health Coaching. I am a mother of three, married, three grown-up children. And I live near Bath in Somerset. And that's me in a nutshell, really. Okay, lovely. Thank you, Caroline. So, Caroline, I know you've had sort of a history of struggling with an eating disorder. Could you take us back, please, and tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, so I was brought up in Brussels and then Paris. So from the age of four, I was in Brussels. So I always went to school in those two countries. When I was 16, my parents wanted me to come to school in England, and I was really against it. It was, you know, just not on my life plan. I wanted to stay in Paris, but they were adamant, and my sister, who's two years older, had been before me. She was there. She loved it. So I applied to go to this rather well-known boarding school in England. I got a place and assumed I'd go. So off I went at 16 and I hated it, absolutely hated it. I got there and everything was alien. It was different country, different culture, different language. And I I felt so out of control. And I remember consciously thinking, I can't control anything here. But one thing I can control is my food. And that is how the eating disorder, the anorexia really snowballed. And looking back, I've I always thought that was where it started. But the year before at Paris, in Paris, apparently, as I subsequently found out, teachers would be talking to my best friend and my parents because they were concerned about my eating. So I think it was there in a way, sort of ready to happen. Now, whether if I'd stayed in Paris, it would have developed, I'm not sure. But it was definitely coming to boarding school in England that really triggered it. So 
I spent an absolutely miserable year. By the end of that first year of sixth form, my parents did realise that it wasn't the best thing for me. So they allowed me to go back to Paris, which I did. And the anorexia sort of took a back seat. It didn't go away completely, but I was so much happier being back with my friends in the old environment. And it took a back seat. I was still very aware of my food intake, my exercise, but not excessively. And I'd say I was just about at a healthy weight, but the very low end, but not low enough that people were concerned about me. So I then came back to England to go to university, had a gap year, then went to university. And again, through those three, four years, my eating was very controlled. It was, I would say, disordered eating and some eating disorder, I suppose, as well. I do remember times when I'd go out for supper. So if I went out to supper, I wouldn't eat all day. But then I could eat normally in the evening, but only because I hadn't eaten all day. And I was going out with this guy. We split up. I suppose I was about 21. And we split up and my weight plummeted really, really low. And then I actually pretty quickly started going out with my now husband. Mm -hmm. And it just got better on its own. You know, I didn't need treatment. I think because I was so happy and in love, it just the weight went back on. But again, it went to a certain point. You know, I never there was a number on the scales. I would never let it go above. Mm -hmm. And. So I was married at 23, which looking back was so young. Um, I just think how ridiculous. I mean, my husband was seven years older, so he at least had a little bit more sense than me. But he was a workaholic and, you know, it suited us perfectly because I loved the fact he was always at work, which sounds weird when you're just married, but it allowed me to get on with my funny eating and mm-hmm. basically to not eat. So, you know, you put a workaholic and an anorexic together as a perfect combination nobody's complaining so he'd come back in the evening and I would eat with him but like I said before I I hadn't eaten all day or I'd have an apple or something mm-hmm. so again through that time it was a sort of thing that people say oh you're so lucky you're so thin mm-hmm. so I think if I was walking along the street people wouldn't point at me and say she's anorexic but they'd say she's very thin so my eating was certainly pretty screwed up and I couldn't get pregnant, surprise, surprise. I'd messed my body up. And so I had to go on fertility drugs. And luckily that did work. So at 26, I had our first son. And at 27, I had twins. So yeah, it was pretty full on. Three children under 20 months. But it was what I always wanted. You know, apparently when I was little, when people said, what do you want to be when you're older? I said, I want to be a mummy. And so it was, it was what I would always dreamt of. And I was really happy. But I think because it was so full on, I was giving, giving, giving to my husband, to the children. My thing for me was my food. That was just my, my thing. Mm. I didn't have anything else for myself. So I focused on my food for me. And yeah, at one point, my sister said to me, you need help. And I said, I never acknowledged, I never admitted I had a problem. She said, you need to go and get help. I said, no, I don't. And she actually persuaded me to go and get some help. And I went to the Maudsley. She had a contact there. And I saw a therapist as an outpatient one hour a week. And it was all fine. I went along, said what I was expected to say, went home and did my own thing. Mm. So it wasn't really much help. By this stage, I was early 30s. So it was really just, you know, looking back, it wasn't severe 
anorexia, but it was severe anorexia in a way because I was compromising my health and I wasn't relaxed around food. I didn't allow myself to eat everything. There was a load of things I wouldn't allow myself to eat. I was counting calories. I was weighing myself every day. Mm. So yeah, very anorexic mindset and unhealthy weight. And then when I was 36, 37, we were skiing in America and I had a skiing accident and I was stretched down to the clinic, went into the clinic and they played around with my knee and they said, well, you've torn your ACL, you'll need surgery and you won't be able to exercise for nine months. And I remember hobbling out of that clinic and thinking, literally thinking, can't exercise, can't eat. Mm. And again, very quickly, my weight plummeted scarily low. I mean, really dangerously low. And because I'd been seeing this woman at the Maudsley, I carried on seeing her after the accident. And she, I remember one session, she said, I can't help you anymore. You need to go into hospital. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm not going into hospital. I'll climb out of the window. I'll escape. I literally, and I would have done. I, you know, with three children mm-hmm. at home, they were sort of 10, 11. I literally would have escaped somehow. And I stupidly told my husband when I got back, which then I was really cross about because he said, yeah, I agree. You need to go into hospital. I said, I'm not going into hospital. I said, give me a week. I'll find an alternative. Mm-hmm. And we were living in Sussex at the time. And there was this woman who just set up this center, play all sort of home yeah. for about four or five women, to girls, women, a residential home. And I had contact with her from before anyway. And I went to see her and I felt like a fraud. It's funny, isn't it? I just did not believe. I mean, I was very, I won't say the number because I know it can be triggering for people, but I was extremely low weight, you know, to the point I should have been in hospital, possibly even being tube fed. And I remember knocking at her door saying, look, I feel really stupid, but, you know, everybody wants me to get help. But so will you help me just so I can keep everyone off my back? And she said, yes. I said, but I'm not staying the night because I've got children. I'm not going to stay. So the agreement was I'd go in for breakfast and I'd leave after supper. Mm-hmm. And I did that every day for 18 months. Right. Half, well, five days a week. And it was the most amazing place. It was, she set it up because she didn't believe in hospital treatment. She felt that force feeding and sort of 3,000 calories a day and then churning people out didn't work. So it was a very, it was much more gentle in that the feeding was in line with the psychological aspect so it was much slower so the weight gain was a lot slower but it was much more sort of solid if you know what I mean it was much safer and the psychological and physical aspect were keeping up with each other so I did that and it was it was you know I learned so much about myself about recovery and I came out of that saying I was recovered and I was basically singing it from the rooftops, telling everybody I was recovered, would never go back, didn't want to be anorexic ever again. And we then moved to Madrid, my husband and I and the children. And we were there for four years. And I did stay sort of recovered. I'd say quasi-recovered, quasi-recovered. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I was still looking back, very conscious, weighing myself every day, had certain clothes I could sort of test out, you know, how they fit, see whether I'd put on weight or not. Again, if I ate out in the evening, didn't eat during the day, when people weren't around, a great opportunity not to eat. Often didn't eat the same as the rest of the family. Lots of no foods, you know, fear foods, 
So, but my weight was again, low end of healthy. So I was safe, but yeah, looking back, I was not recovered. We then four years later moved back to the UK, came to where we are now near Bath and the children were sort of 16, 17 years old and it was the summer holidays. And mm-hmm. anyone who's got teenagers knows that feeling. <laughs> Two 16 year olds and a 17 year old in the house all day. I thought I need some space. I need to get out of here just for an hour a day at least. And so I started going to the gym and without me even knowing it, the weight started dropping off. And before I knew it, the anorexia had come back big time. And it was weird because it wasn't a conscious decision. It really wasn't. It's just scary how it could creep in. Mm. And I think because it hadn't really ever gone away, I just slipped back into it. And I remember feeling I went right back down again, very, very low weight to how I'd been before with the skiing accident. Mm -hmm. I was so ashamed and so embarrassed and so upset that I'd let myself get like that again. Mm-hmm. but I couldn't do anything about it. The anorexia was too strong for me. And I hated what I was doing to the family. You know, my daughter at 16, she told somebody, a close friend, she said, I'm really scared mommy's going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, but even that didn't make me get better. I mean, that shows how strong the anorexia can be. Mm-hmm. Even that, you know, I'd wanted children all my life. They were my life. They are my life. You know, but that, even that didn't make me get better. So I, you know, I was really terrified, but, but I couldn't do anything about it. And for Jamie, my husband, it was, you know, living with an anorexic must be just awful, really awful, but he's stuck by me and he, you know, he's been unbelievable and he could see through the anorexia to me. He, you know, he always knew I was in there somewhere. So I just... I was scared. I was really scared because I didn't want to live with it, but I didn't want to live without it. Because, you know, it was 30 odd years. This anorexia had become my best friend. Mm. And I didn't know who I'd be without her because for so long, all my adult life, that's who I'd been. You know, I was always known as being a tiny one. I'm Mm. only five foot two and I was thin as well. So, you know, that was my identity. And, So I I really, I was so torn because every time I thought, yeah, well, I do want to get better. I just, I didn't. The anorexia just, just won over. And I always, you know, I remember walking into rooms and doing a quick scan. I was so efficient at it. I'd scan and just check I was the thinnest. When I went to buy clothes, if it wasn't the smallest size, I would be really upset to the point of bursting into tears because I wasn't fitting into the smallest size. I felt I'd failed. You know, if people said, oh, you're looking well, I'd say, well, that, well, they weren't at that point. But, you know, later on, you're looking well, well, that would be I'm looking fat, you know, everything. So such strong anorexic thinking. Mm-hmm. So this carried on. And then one morning, I got up, had my shower, sitting at my dressing table, drying my hair. And I looked down, my legs were crossed. I looked down and I thought, they are disgusting. And to this day, I don't know why or how it happened then but I just thought they are they're like sticks they were horrible Mm -hmm. and I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired I've had enough of this and that was the turning point for me and you know it wasn't it's not as if the next day I was recovered but from that point I knew I really wanted to get better and 
it was funny because I then did go for some help. Actually, I think just before that turning point, I had been getting, again, outpatient help locally, but it was doing nothing at all. And I stopped going. And once I had this turning point, I thought, you know what? I don't need any outside help. I know what I need to do because of the help I'd had for those 18 months in Sussex. I actually knew what I needed to do. I just needed to do it. Yeah. And so I did. And it wasn't easy. You know, it's not, as people know who have recovered, it was Every day I had to decide, yes, I am going to get better. Yes, I am going to turn away from anorexia. And that voice gradually got weaker and weaker. And the way I describe it is when I was very ill, it was just me. That voice was me. I couldn't even separate Caroline and anorexia out. Mm-hmm. And then as I went through recovery, it became smaller. So the me became bigger and the anorexia became smaller and then it was, and it was all inside me still. And then it was on my shoulder. So I could recognize it. So it was there, still talking to me, still trying to persuade me to not eat and to overexercise and to weigh myself. But I could actually talk to it and argue with it because it was slightly separated. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, it just lifted off my shoulder and just got more and more distant. And then it got to the point where sometimes I would notice it sort of like float a cloud going in front of you You'd sort of, I'd notice it I think yeah that's really interesting but not interested thank you and off it went so yeah that's it took I'd say about four years to really be recovered but it was just different this time and I think Jamie found it hard because when I said to him I really am recovered he I think he thought yeah I've heard that one before yeah. and I didn't want to have to convince him but over time, he's seen, you know, it's more in what you do, isn't it, than what you say. And he knows now 101% that I'm recovered. Mm. And so, yeah, that's my story. That's where I am now. I'm fully recovered, which is then, you know, that then led me to health coaching. And it's, yeah, it's been one big battle, but I've, I've cracked it. I've fought it. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Caroline, for sharing your story. And I think it is just so encouraging to hear that it sounds like you really, you genuinely feel like you've come out the other side now, like head above water. 100%, 100%. Yeah, and it's that, I think the difference is I don't even have to try and convince people. I just know deep down now, I have absolutely no wish to go back to where I was. It was miserable, absolutely Mm. miserable. And there were times when I wanted to sort of test it out as I was recovering. I just wanted to check I could still be an anorexic just in case I needed to go back there, that sort of safety. Mm-hmm. And there was stay, the more and more I recovered, the less I could do that. And that was quite scary mm-hmm. because then I thought, oh my goodness, I can't even be anorexic now, even if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But now I'm at the point where I think, well, I wouldn't even want to test it out. I have no wish to try and starve myself for a day. I have no wish to see if I can lose weight. I just, mm. it's not even on my radar anymore. Yes, no, that's that's wonderful and so inspiring to hear, isn't it? That, mm. yes, like you say, it's kind of, you're just not living in that anorexic bubble anymore, are exactly. you? Exactly, yeah. Mm. So Caroline, could you talk a bit more as well about that 18 months treatment when you went every day or every day Mm. every weekday I mean sounds incredible actually and I think as well what dedication by you just to commit to it for that period because that's quite a big 
commitment yeah. is it when you've got three children as well it is yeah it, it was it was you know and at the time that was the first time I'd ever recognized that I had a problem which sounds crazy but you know I'd never actually admitted to it I'd had it for 20 years by then yeah. but I'd never actually used the word anorexia and I'd never talked to anybody else about it apart from this therapist but I didn't even admit I had anorexia I said oh well maybe I eat in a funny way so it was lovely to to have a small group of people that we could really talk about it to and to see that other people were feeling the same way because it's as people know mm-hmm. an eating disorder is such a lonely place to be yeah so to be able to talk to other people and I think one thing that really stands out from that treatment center was we had to spend time doing nothing, which I I found so difficult, really difficult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back now, I can see why we had to do it. But just sitting with the discomfort was really hard, but so valuable. We used to have, so the the day, if I can remember correctly, we'd have breakfast. We'd then have a group session in the morning where the woman will talk about, I don't know, it just various things. I mean, I learned a lot about, because I never had bulimia, um, never purged, but I learned a hell of a lot about it, which was interesting apart from anything else. And so it would be, you know, just working on body image, on, you know, she'd do, we'd make us do exercises, like doing one thing different every day, all various homeworks she'd give us, and we'd talk about it. And then we'd have lunch, and then the afternoon would be, sometimes it was you know challenging us to just sit and watch television which you know in my world was just three Mm. children there's no way I'd sit and watch television in the afternoon just didn't happen so it was and as we got better we were allowed to go into the local town and you know she challenged us to go out for a cup of tea and a piece of cake that sort of thing so Mm. it was very much practical in the real world Mm. and also the fact we went home at weekends we put into practice she'd give us challenges to do over the weekend And it was interesting, she never weighed us, never, ever weighed us. And it was very clever because Monday morning we'd come in and she'd always give us all a big hug. And later on, when I was recovered, she'd um, when I left, she said, I used to hug you so I could see if you'd lost weight or not. (laughs) So she could feel how bony we were. So that was her way of of gauging how, how we were doing a lot of the time. So it was a very caring, sort of nurturing place. Yeah. But it was tough. And the food-wise, when when I arrived, obviously because I was so underweight, she would start people who arrived very low weight slowly. So say at lunch we had to have potatoes, you'd have one to start with, then you'd build up. So it wouldn't be suddenly you'd be eating a massive meal because, you know, that doesn't Mm -hmm. help at all. So -hmm. it was very gradual, very – but, you know, she was tough on us. You know, I remember literally walking out, getting in my car and driving away – because she was making me sausage and mash. Mm-hmm. And I was so freaked out by it. And I refused and I drove off. I mean, now it just seems crazy. But I remember doing that. Mm-hmm. I was so terrified of this sausage that yeah. I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was an amazing place. It really was. Sure. And it's what set me up to then recover properly later. Yeah, so it sounds like in a way, I guess even... Because it sounds like it got you to a certain point, didn't it? Where mm. I guess, you know, you had made so much progress and you learned a lot of tools and really challenged yourself. Yeah, it moved you on significantly, didn't it, with your recovery? It did. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it sounds like a bit of a mixture of like in a way being very caring and nurturing, but also 
quite firm and boundaried you know just to kind of help me push through exactly exactly. Mm. it's wonderful to hear about that actually because I think it is a shame probably there aren't more centers like that because it does Mm. tend to be it's quite harsh I think sometimes isn't it when you have to come into hospital and be away from your loved ones and you know just systems aren't set up for it to be quite so caring and nurturing as that experience sounded exactly Mm. oh yeah and then as we were saying earlier sorry the body image stuff Mm. touched on and that that was the last thing really to come and that's only in the last few years I'd say I really I suppose come to accept my body and I think you know loving your body is a difficult one isn't it I don't know how many people really love their bodies and can look in the mirror and say I love you I find that quite tricky Mm. you know I had so many bad days of I knew I had to be the weight I was but I still it was my legs were my sort of big thing I hated my legs and that was the first thing I focused on when I looked in the mirror and when I was buying clothes. Mm-hmm. But I worked for the last few years, I've worked on that really hard. And it's interesting, I was thinking about it the other day. And whereas I used to use the anorexia as a gauge as to how I looked, it was anorexia who told me how I looked. As I was recovering, and when I was pretty well recovered, so say two, three, four years ago, mm-hmm. I still had to, or sort of four years ago, I still had to ask Jamie, do I look all right? Do I look overweight? Because I stopped wearing myself. So I haven't weighed myself for years. I just don't do it now. Yeah. So it was as if I had to have some sort of validation or sort of like a checkpoint. Do I look okay? Do I, I feel I'm putting on weight? Am I, do I look all right? And he would be really patient with me say, no, you still look very slim, but you know, he was really good. And now I've got to the point where I don't, I can't remember the last time I asked him. Mm. I know I eat well. I nourish myself really well. I exercise within reasonable boundaries so the shape I am is the shape I'm meant to be so mm-hmm. I don't really give it a second thought mm-hmm. so it was those stages and I think you know it just when I thought about it the other day, I thought yeah you know I'm at that final stage now I don't need external validation about how I look mm. because I'm comfortable with who I am now yeah no, that's just really wonderful to hear because I think as well for many people, actually, that body image part is the last piece of the puzzle. It can mm. be quite challenging. Yeah, I think so. I think it really mm. is because how much you accept, you know, you need to be a certain weight or size to be healthy and you do accept that. Mm. It doesn't mean you like it. Yes, no, sure. I think it's really helpful that you've made that distinction. Mm. And how were there sort of certain tools or things that you have done to really help you be more accepting of your body? I think for me, the big thing I used, which is so straightforward, I just had this mantra, life's more important than the size of your thighs. Mm. <laughs> and it's actually, but you know, when I was looking in the mirror or sitting down, you know, when you sit down, your legs obviously get bigger when they're pushed on a chair and, you know, because that's what human legs do. And but I would hate it. And I would just keep saying to myself, there's more to life than the size of your thighs. And all that that can sound quite trite, but it actually really landed for me because mm. it's exactly right. There is more to life than the size of my thighs. Mm. And people don't care. People don't look at the size of my thighs. They couldn't give two hoots what size they are. Mm. There's much more to my life now than what size clothes I am and what I weigh. Much more. <laughs> 
Mm. And it sounds like with that mantra, although like in a way you're saying it sounds a bit sort of trite or superficial Mm. or whatever, it sounds like actually it was a reminder, wasn't it, of your deeper values probably and just Mm. realising, yeah, that, yeah, like the size of your thighs in the bigger scheme of things, it's not so important in terms of, yeah, other aspects of your life. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, Mm. I can... I can actually live now. You know, I've, I look mm-hmm. back at what I missed out on and, you know, the meals, like the lovely food I've missed out on over the years. You know, I'd have to go back and eat all those meals I didn't eat. And, and you know, my husband says it's so nice when we go out now and we eat things together. You know, it's mm-hmm. just everything's so different. And I used to turn down so many social invitations because I didn't want to have to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, you know, the energy I put into it all, it, it was exhausting. And, and yeah, you live a proper life now. Mm, yeah, well, it's, it's so great to hear that. And it's, it's so great to hear as well. I guess the, your husband has been on this journey with you. And it sounds like, you know, it's, it's been at times as well, really supportive, but that you you really are at the other side and now can like really enjoy things more together. And mm. yeah, definitely. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, he's a saint. Well, he's not, he's a pain in the ass sometimes, but yeah, on that <laughs> Aren't they all? But no, he's he's a saint. I mean, to have lived through that with me and to he was sort of my biggest cheerleader. He always he was just there, you know, and I can't thank him enough, really. Mm. Cringe making. But yeah, it was he's been amazing through it. Oh, it's lovely to hear. And I think it just shows the, the incredible value of having support, doesn't it? Of like support of your loved ones around you and, and like you're saying, like cheerleading you on. Yeah. And actually now the children, you know, they're 20, the twins are 26 and the older one's just 28. And, you know, they, particularly my daughter, we've talked about it a lot. And I've always, you know, I've apologised to all of them for what I put them through. And also I gave them a really screwed up view of food and eating. And, you know, that's my one, one of my biggest regrets about it all. Mm-hmm. And I have apologised to them. And my daughter went through a, a very brief stage of sort of flirting with an eating disorder. It never got to be bad at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we talk about it a lot. And, and she's fantastic. She says, you know, these things happen. And, and she's mm-hmm. fine now. And they've learned a lot. You know, and boys are, I think, slightly less interested in it on the whole. But mm-hmm. my daughter was talking to somebody about an eating disorder and, and she could actually talk about it you know no knowledgeably because she's seen it in real life and yeah. so you know it's given them something and shown them that life isn't easy but you can get mm-hmm. through things so. yeah no sure and I think so helpful actually it sounds like that you've been able to have some really open conversations about it and I guess yeah for them to see you yeah coming out the other side and to realize actually yeah you can really do hard things and get through some really yeah. tricky patches exactly exactly so Caroline when did you sort of get into health coaching then what was your sort of journey into the work you do today so that was about it was when I really felt recovered and I went through a stage of not wanting to have anything to do with eating disorders. So that was on one side, but I wanted to do something. The children had left home. I'd always stayed at home with them. I'd done various bits of volunteering. I worked in catering. I did a year of counselling. I thought I wanted to be a counsellor, but that wasn't quite right. So I just did the foundation year. But I knew I needed to do something to fill my time, but I wanted to do something constructive, productive that stimulated me. And I was looking at various things and it was actually on Google. Health coaching came up 
Mm. And you know, when just the penny drops, you think that's it. That just, because my degree was in psychology. So I'd always been interested in that side of things, obviously fascinated with food and exercise. And it just brought it all together. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited. You know, when you're just so excited, you think, <laughs> yes. So I looked into it. I found, you know, a good training place to do it. And so yeah, I did an eight, I did their six-month training, and then I did their master's for another year. So I trained as a health coach, got some clients, loved it, and still I absolutely love it. Because what I love about it is it's looking forward. You know, when people say, what's the difference between a counsellor and a health coach? The way I describe it is a counsellor will look, generally they look back a lot at your childhood and things as well as looking forward but Mm. a health coach is much more practical and I'm a very practical person I like to have practical steps I like to be able to you know give ideas which is a health coach I can you know obviously a lot of it is the client coming up with their own system Mm. and ideas but you know you can give suggestions and it's much more two-way dialogue and Mm. so I yeah, I've, I absolutely love the health coaching, love it. And then about a year ago, I thought, you know what, I do want to help people with eating disorders. I thought because I am so out of this now, you know, out of being mm. having an eating disorder, that I, I knew deep down it was safe. And, you know, I wasn't going to try and persuade everybody or anybody in my family that I was all right with it. But I knew, I just knew deep down I could do it now. It was mm-hmm. the time was right that I could actually work with people with eating disorders so I then went to the National Centre for Eating Disorders. I've certified with them. And so I have a mixture now of sort of health coaching clients and eating disorder clients. And I mix the, the whole techniques I use, the, the system I use is a whole mixture, which I love. I can sort of take mm-hmm. bits from every, every bit of my training and use it with everybody. So, I, yeah, I just I love it. Really love mm-hmm. it. Oh, wonderful. I mean, I can just hear by the enthusiasm in your voice, Caroline, how you've obviously found your passion and something that brings you so much joy every day. I have. And, you know, I'm 54 now. And I think, you know, my 20s, I'd have thought, well, you passed it by 54. What's the point in starting anything new then? But, you know, the older that you get, the younger you get in your head. So I think, no, no, I've got loads of time left. So, yeah, I mean, it took me a while to get there, but I'm I'm there now, finally. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, well, it's great to hear. And and I think, you know, I know everyone's experience, of course, is different, but I think it must be very inspiring as well for your clients just just to see that you've had that long journey, but you truly have come out the other side in such a different place. Yeah, and I think even if our experiences are different, they know that it's possible. You know, I had an eating disorder for 35, 30, 35 years. Mm. And on the one hand, people might think, well, that's depressing. That means mine can last that long. On the other hand, it shows that you can still recover at any stage. It's never too late. Yes. Yeah, no, that's absolutely so true, isn't it? I think it's it's so important. I know my own recovery, just holding on to hope and believing mm. there was a light at the end of the tunnel and seeing there could be a way out was, I think, the thing that got me through. So I think just so encouraging to hear your story and you know, to understand that even if you've been stuck for so long, recovery is still possible it is absolutely it really is so Caroline as well if you were to sort of look back so I guess you know there's so many aspects of your recovery that have been essential and have probably contributed to you getting to this place today but Mm. what do you think what are your sort of three main things do you think Mm. that have been most valuable to you on this journey gosh I think one would be 
to know that if I if I'd known at the time that once I started eating I wasn't going to go out of control to trust that that was something that really scared me because I love food always did love food so yeah to know that actually you can eat and not just go completely wild to know that has to be more valuable so valuable in the recovery to know that people don't like you or not like you because of what you eat or the size you are mm. there's so much more to you than that than your weight there's so much more to you than the number on the scales I mean that is a massive thing to really know deep down yeah and what's another one a final one would be sorry I put you on the spot a bit with this question <laughs> no it's good just to enjoy life and to, life is short so you know just to enjoy being with people enjoy the food enjoy the moments because mm-hmm. they won't come again yeah no, I think that's great advice so Caroline where can people find you if they would like to get in touch or you know find out more about the work that you are doing so for the work I'm doing I've got a website zesthealthcoaching.co.uk that says about my work, what I do, how I how I work with clients and contact details. And then I'm also on Instagram at Zest Health Coaching. Okay, no, lovely. I'm sure quite a few people would like to get in touch or would be interested to read more about you as well and the work you do. So thank you, Caroline, so much for coming on the podcast today and for really sharing your story very openly and inspiring you know, such a strong message of hope and possibility of what can happen with recovery. I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, Harriet. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And please do go and check out all of Caroline's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do visit my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you'd like to support this podcast, there's information in the show notes about my Patreon account. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps this podcast reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.